0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this two-part episode of Afronomics. I'm your host, Albert Zufak, and I'm the Chief Economist for Africa at the World Bank. Many listeners may recall that last year, the World Development Report focused on the future of work on a global scale, highlighting the real tension between job losses in old the so-called all sectors including manufacturing and new sectors that could actually be creating jobs through gains in innovation our africa focus companion report which we released in july 2019 finds that africa has a chance to take a different path that would happen only if governments in africa government and businesses can take advantage of digital technologies, and if the right policies and investment are in place. Those are big ifs, which means that would require a lot of work for it to happen. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues to dig deeper into what this means. I'm here with my colleague Mark Dutz and Zainab Usman who are co-authors of this fascinating publication. Mark Dutz is a lead economist in the Office of the Chief Economist for Africa, and he's our resident expert on the digital economy in Africa. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Albert. It's a pleasure to have you on Afronomics. Now, Mark, can you briefly tell us how the future of work in Africa is similar or different from what it will be in the rest of the world. In our report, we highlight three
1: possible reasons why the future of work in Africa may actually play out differently, linked to how low-skill workers may benefit more from digital technology adoption than in other regions. Those reasons are linked first to lower levels of technology adoption and much lower levels of manufacturing than in other regions. So manufacturing on average is only 8% of employment.
0: Only 8% of employment in Africa is in manufacturing. Yeah. That's pretty low. In fact, almost 90% of workers are informal
1: and even more so, more than 90% for youth and old people.
0: So, So most of the jobs in Africa are effectively in the informal sector. Correct. So the disruption in formal manufacturing may not be that big, is that what you're saying? That's really the first reason we focus on, that in
1: fact, since uh, there is such a small percentage of workers in manufacturing and in in the formal sector in general, then the threat of automation, of of sophisticated robots displacing workers, is much less uh, over the coming years than in other regions. And what is the second reason why it's going to be so different? So most people in African countries also have much lower incomes per capita than in other regions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they really haven't been able to take advantage of buying higher quality goods like healthier foods and better services, uh, like the rest of the world, where those levels of consumption are close to saturation. So we know that the adoption of technologies lowers costs therefore lowers the prices of providing those products. So there's a tremendous opportunity in Africa of making these products affordable and mass consumed by adopting technologies, which in turn would allow farms and firms to produce more and therefore to hire more workers. So other regions have already, or are starting to reach these saturation levels. So in their case, adopting new technologies has much less of a pent up demand to
0: boost jobs. That's extremely interesting. And, and it touches on one extremely important focus of this report, which is technology, Mark, which is the digital economy, digital technologies. Why have you guys focused so much on digital?
1: So that's a great question. And it actually links to the third reason why we say that there's a, lo- a much greater potential in Africa to take for for low-skilled workers from digital technology adoption than in other regions, and that's because digital technologies are a real enabler of jobs. Now, there there, there are different kinds of digital technologies. Mm-hmm. What most people focus on are what we call skill-biased digital technologies. That is like the internet. When a, an enterprise, a firm, or a farm adopts these skill-biased digital technologies, they tend to substitute towards more skilled people, and therefore, less skilled people lose some jobs. Mm -hmm. But as long as there's a sufficiently large output expansion from the lower costs and the lower prices that that digital technology affords, then everyone can get more jobs, more production, more jobs. And so we have actually an interesting recent study that showed that the arrival of faster Internet increased jobs not only for workers that had gone to university, but also those whose highest level
0: was primary education. That's a pretty important finding. That's extremely interesting because one of the arguments we've been hearing, Mark, is that the Internet is going to be displacing workers. It's going to be increasing inequality. It's going to be leading to massive job losses. What you're finding is actually the contrary. Well, this study is intriguing.
1: It found that the probability that an individual is employed increased by between 3 and 13% relative to areas unconnected by submarine cables. Now, those em- employment, those types of occupations were overwhelmingly skilled jobs. That's why we mean by saying they're Uh, skill-biased. But if you look at who got those skilled jobs, they went to people not only with higher education, but also with primary education. So we need to understand this better. Is it because firms can also make use of primary educated people and train them? Or is it something else driving these findings? And what's happening in rural areas? So There's a big agenda, a very important one for us to understand better, because that will, based on that data and evidence, we can then make much sounder, robust policy recommendations.
0: I guess that's the topic of our upcoming regional study that we are working on. But that's going to be the topic of another show, right? Correct.
1: But there is uh, one other type of technology beyond the skill bias technology, which we emphasize in the report. And that's actually low-skill-biased digital technologies. So these are technologies like Uber-type platforms, technologies like mobile money, M-Pesa-type payments for the unbanked, voice and video extension for farmers. What's exciting about those types of technologies is it seems like that's the kind of technology that digital is particularly good at, that is uh, providing video, providing voice. So it can help the people who are low-skilled, who don't have good literacy skills, who don't have good numeracy skills, to actually use these digital technologies and learn as they work. So those are very exciting technologies
0: so because they can help the informal worker. What I'm hearing you say, Mark, is digital technologies are going to be helping improving productivity of African workers, including in the informal sector.
1: Yes, and and that's a very important message. That is that uh, when we think about policies for the informal sector, it shouldn't just be about formalizing. It should really be about boosting the productivity of informal workers. And as those farms and firms that are informal, by adopting digital technologies, as well as complementary technologies to the digital, as they boost their productivity and grow, then they'll
0: naturally formalize. Great. Now, we started by saying the future of work may look great. The future of work may be different in Africa if. So let's talk about those ifs. What would have to be done for African countries to harness those digital technologies to create a new work environment, create new type of jobs that are so needed for the African youth and for women in Africa. That's a great point. Uh, We do
1: emphasize that there's a potential, but it's really only going to happen if policymakers, government, and government together with business actually adopt the right business environment and make appropriate investments. We emphasize three Cs. Uh, competition, capital, and government capacity. So maybe we can talk a minute about competition. Please.
0: please.
1: So uh, competition is needed, of course, upstream in the provision of infrastructure services to make sure that they are delivered in a way that is ubiquitous, that it's, everyone has access, and that they're delivered in an affordable way. But competition is also critical across the whole economy to make sure that enterprises actually have both the pressure to adopt better technologies uh, and uh, then are able to compete using those better technologies to expand
0: production and create more jobs. That's correct. So the first C is competition and competition across the economy, not just in the ICT sector. Correct. But in the ICT
1: sector, competition, you know, has an additional potential wrinkle. That is, uh, there may be a very important role to be played
0: by competition through regional regulation. Oh, so what you're suggesting, Mark, is we should start thinking region, regional, even when we are discussing competition policy. Very much so, yes. And and how is that relevant for the uh, digital uh, revolution in Africa? Well, we can see the initial
1: success of the one network area in East Africa where countries came together and actually uh, mandated uh, zero roaming costs. So then when someone in Kenya went to Rwanda, they actually had the same costs across the three countries. Actually, uh, South Sudan also joined and uh, we're hoping that this will now move towards including data roaming as well and be
0: expanded to the whole East African Community network. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like something that needs to be scaled up. Correct, and and, and why why hasn't it been adopted by other African countries? Well, there are political economy issues
1: related to, for instance, how the unprecedented windfall rents from spectrum auctions how they will be allocated. One potential benefit of going regional is that you now could have larger markets with economies of scale, economies of scope. You could have better regulation, a little bit like in the EU, where a certain regulation that's frontier type regulation that's difficult for maybe a country to adopt within its own political economy context is kind of spurred to adopt it because it's the regional standard. Then you also have potential for more competition at the regional level. You have the potential for perhaps having better uh, subsidies uh, of handsets, of Uh, data plans, you could have subsidies on the supply side or the demand side, and perhaps there's an argument for more efficient, lower subsidies needed if you do it at a regional level than if you do it country by country. Just like skills, it's very hard to have the kind of rigorous regulation skills you need in each country. So think about regional hubs.
0: No, that's, that's extremely pertinent. Now, you mentioned three Cs. I want you to come back to the second and third one. So the second C has to do with capital. That's
1: right. Not just the financial capital we f- typically think about, but human capital, skills, exactly. um, education and, and local content. So more investment in those kinds of capital, including infrastructure capital, are
0: critical. And in infrastructure capital, I think it's important and the publication highlights the need for analog complements such as energy, right?
1: Correct. Uh, logistics, transport, energy, these are critical. A rural farmer w- would not be able to power their handset if they don't have access to electricity. In spite of being able to operate on an e-commerce platform to actually deliver their product to someone in a town in a different country if they don't have access to good logistics. So these things work together. Similarly, you could think of uh, a basic tractor. When we talk about the Internet of Things, it's really unconceivable without the underlying things. So you need a tractor to actually collect some data. You need you irrigation need to have sensors. There's all kinds of complements that are needed for digital to be effective.
0: Absolutely. So first is competition. Second is capital. And here it's not just physical capital. It's essentially human capital because skills are going to be essential for the future of work in Africa, just like they will be anywhere else. Essential. And that's something that is probably not that different between Africa and the rest of the world. Human capital is going to be key. And what is the third C? The third C is government capacity. Government
1: capacity for better resource mobilization and allocation of public resources to support the kinds of risk-taking and job transitions that are needed. So basically, government capacity for better social protection.
0: Well, government capacity is key to implement any policy, any economic policy. And what is going to be essential... It's going to be how government implement sound fiscal policies, including, as you mentioned, social protection. Social protection, we'll discuss it with our next guest, uh, uh, Zena. But but let me uh, close uh, with you, Mark, by asking, you know, what should African government start with? We've discussed three Cs, right? Competition. We've discussed capital. And capacity. Is there any sequence to this, or should they start working on the tree at once? So we emphasize in
1: the report three E's in terms of how to do it. Enabling entrepreneurship so that African innovators build the apps and other solutions that are then scaled to enable workers to build their skills as they work. Second, we emphasize enhancing the productivity of the informal workers. So coming back to that critical theme that policies towards informality should be importantly about boosting their productivity. And those productive firms, as they grow, will on their own become formal because it'll be in their interest to become formal. And finally, extending social protection coverage by improving revenue collection, rebalancing government spending and better coordinating development
0: assistance. That's an excellent framework. Three Cs, competition, capital, capacity, and three E's on how to do it, enhancing productivity.
1: Enabling entrepreneurship. Enabling
0: entrepreneurship and extending social protection.
1: It's a nice framework for you and I to discuss, Absolutely. but it's a real challenge to implement and that'll be the challenge.
0: Thank you so much, Mark, for coming. And as a reminder to our listener, You can find our recent publication at worldbank.org/slash AFRCE. And for more, you can follow me on Twitter at Albert Zufak to share your views, questions, and ideas. Thank you so much, Mark Dutz, for coming to Afronomics. Listeners, please stay tuned for part two of the podcast where we will look at the role of social protection in the future of work in Africa. Until then, thank you very much for listening.